Um, I have a, a something here I like to read because I thought it was really important. I pulled this out of my files. You ever go through your files, go through your old mail, stuff you stored? So <clears throat> how many like to be safe in life? Safe no matter what you're doing. You don't want to have, be injured and all kind of stuff. So <clears throat> I found this in my files. How to be safe in life. Please take these notes down. It will help you. Okay. Avoid riding in automobiles because they're responsible for 20% of all fatal accidents. Anybody riding an automobile in church this morning? You could use a horse and buggy. They're a lot slower and less accidents. Um, we almost got tail-ended coming home from <laughs> down in uh, Virginia, where we were for our grandson's graduation, with a tractor trailer. That wouldn't have been nice. We saw it coming, and we were able to swerve before he hit us. And Praise God. Okay, do not stay home because 17% of all accidents occur in the home. How many know that? Avoid walking on streets or sidewalks because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Avoid traveling by air, rail, or water because 16% of all accidents involve these forms of transportation. You'll be pleased to learn that only 0.001% of all deaths occur in worship services in church. And these are usually related to previous physical disorders. Therefore, logic tells us that the safest place for you to be at any given point in time is at church. Bible study is safe. The percentage of deaths during Bible study is even less. For safety's sake, attend worship services and read your Bible. It could save your life. <laughs> pretty, pretty good stuff, right? I liked it. I thought it was good. And um, be at church all the time. Not just save your life for here and now, but forever. Seriously. And also, another congratulations to Pastor Brian and, and Paula. And some of you are aware that he received his certificate for 25 years as an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God at our district council last week up in Marlton. I don't know where anybody... Is anybody here aware of that? No, okay, you are now. Congratulations, Pastor Brian and Paula, together as a team, serving God, 25 years as an ordained pastor. Now, he spent some years before that because you have to go through a process to get to the ordination part. But um, it's called perseverance. And when I was in uh, Bible college, one of my professors said that the three Ps of a successful ministry is preach, pray, and plug away. That last P, that's perseverance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you go through everything and you stay with it because you know God called you. I had a man at church tell me, dealing with some issues in the church, and because we're all people, we have issues, right? I know none of you people do. I, you know, but I, I've pastored for a few years in other churches, and some of the people have issues. I have issues, you know what I mean? How many realize that we all have issues? So I had a man tell me, he looked at me one day, he said, Pastor, I wouldn't have your job for a million bucks. And I said to him, I wouldn't have your job for a million bucks. Because God called me to do this. And God called you to work on the roads. But I understood what he was saying. So we, we do what God has called us to do. Pastor Brian and Paula, raising their children, called of God. Don't ever forget that as you pray for your pastor and his wife. They could be out there doing all kinds of stuff. But God called them to do this, and they're pursuing the call. So God bless you guys. Keep at it for another 25, 50 years, whatever. Um, you're, you're just youngsters, so you have a lot of years ahead of you. Amen. Amen. Um, but I want to look at this thought with us this morning of influence before I go into the other part of my message. Uh, I want you to consider Psalm 1, verse 2 as one of the verses that we're looking at today, and it wasn't in your bulletin, and it wasn't any verses I gave to the read up. But um, <clears throat> I told you there were other verses. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And it's called about the man who serves God. On his law he meditates day and night. And uh, some have said the word meditate means to chew the cut. Anybody know that phrase, chew the cut? Anybody here dairy farmers or... Cows, so, so cows chew the cud. Now, we don't do this at our tables, because if you did, it would be pretty gross. But they swallow their food, then they regurgitate it. 
wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm eating some steak. Let me get that. Let me chew that some more. We never do that, right? Because you say, oh, that person's disgusting. Who invited them to come? We're never going out to eat with them again. But that's what cows do. And they chew and they chew, they swallow, they regurgitate, and they finally, it, it gets absorbed into their, their body. Here's what I read. Dairy cows spend almost eight hours a day chewing their cud for a total of almost 30,000 chews daily. It can be said that a content cow is one who has seen chewing her cud. Is that pretty cool? Now, I'm not asking you to chew your food for that long period of time all day long. You know, chew it and swallow it, let it absorb. But when it comes to the Word of God, meditating on God's Word, we ought to chew on it and then let it get absorbed into our system, where we actually begin to live it out. Because it's no big deal to say amen in church and hallelujah and we're singing songs, then go out and live like the world lives. God wants us to absorb that, and he wants us to be different. Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's not just shouting hallelujah on Sunday and then living like the world Monday to Friday. So that's a great passage of scripture. His delight, the blessed man, blessed woman who's serving God, their delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. As Pastor Brian is saying about knowing God and being in his presence and studying. And listen, I don't know about any of you here, but I know about me. I have one of these things. There's very few people in America that don't carry one of these things. Smartphone, iPhone, whatever you want to call them, okay? You can go into any passage of Scripture and say, give me a commentary on this. You don't have to have books and books. Us guys had books and books in our libraries for years. So I'm going through Acts again. I love the book of Acts. And um, I just read the chapter and I'm like, give me the commentary for Acts chapter 16. And I just bring it up. And I'm reading through thoughts that people have shared from Acts 16. I'm like, this is so exciting. Because Acts 16 is about Paul and Silas getting beat up and thrown in jail. That's not exciting, is it? But you know what's exciting about it? When you read the story again and again, because they set a woman free from being demon-possessed, and the owners of the woman were losing money because it's so much about money, isn't it, to love of money? And um, they could have declared that they were Roman citizens right then and there before they were beaten. And then they wouldn't have touched them because there were laws for Roman citizens. But they didn't. And they're in jail at midnight. And I, I got to think that most people in jail, especially if you've been beaten up and wrongly accused, you won't be singing praises to God. You'd be cussing and swearing, and I can't believe I'm here, and where are you, God? They're singing praises to God. There's an earthquake. You're in the story. And as I'm reading it again, the writer in the notes said, the real reason that Paul and Silas gave up their rights is because God was going to do something special. You know what was special? A jailer and his family get saved. That's special. He comes to Christ because he knows what happened was miraculous. All the doors are open. He thinks everybody's escaped. He's ready to kill himself. Paul says, no, no, we're all here. This guy comes out and bows for him. Oh, my goodness. Now he's taking care of his wounds. He's taking him to his house to feed him. They come back to the jail again. This is just incredible. So you might be going through a hard place. Maybe God's using that to bring salvation to someone's home. Don't ever think that God's not with you. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. We sang the song, right? We sing these songs. And so I thought it was just really interesting of that whole passage. But you can go right on your phone, your computer, and you can take a whole passage of Scripture like that and say, after you read it, just bring me commentary. And there'll be different people. I like the Enduring Word commentary. It's just one out there. And it'll give you verse, verse by verse, and it'll make it real for you. We have no excuse today, folks, to not be in God's Word. There are so many helps for us. Um, I was recently asked to share a message at two graveside services two weeks ago. And um, by the way, I'm retired, but that doesn't mean I've died yet. And <laughs> if I am, I'm doing a pretty good job speaking as a dead person. Um, and, and there's times that there's needs, and I respond to that and say, okay. And um, I was asked to share a message at two graveside services. Both of the ladies whose service we were at had attended First Assembly of God in Carney's Point. The backstory to both these believers is the influence people had in the church on them. And Pastor Brian was talking about that. And you two young ladies coming into church and needing someone to work with our teens to influence them, or you children and teens to influence them. And uh, uh, Paul said, 
in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And if you grew up with the King James like I grew up, it says, be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. So we are talking about godly influence. And at the gravesite, I mentioned the name of three men. If I mentioned their name, some of you would know, him, know them. They're already in heaven. Who faithfully went out with a church bus back in the 1950s, in the early 60s, picking up kids, teens, adults, whoever wanted to come to church. They did it faithfully. They took turns every Sunday. The one family they picked up, there were eight kids. Mom and dad wasn't saved, but the eight kids got on the bus every Sunday. They got involved in the life of the church. I know you have a van that picks people up here, and you probably had a bus back in the day. Um, and I said to them as we were at the gravesite, this is the fruit of people that invested and sowed, influenced this woman. 69 years old she died. God called her home. But I was there talking about her because there were men in the church for years when she was little that stopped by her house and even helped get them dressed and give them food to eat because their parents were far from saved. They were just out there. Influence. Being involved in people's lives for righteousness. And then after that, I got a call for another person who had been in our church for just a short period of time after we came. She'd been there for years before, and then we came and they moved down south. But as I talked to her daughter, she told me that there was a family in the church who took them under their wing. Her mom was a single mother raising two children. You know anybody like that? You know people that have needs? Take them under your wing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Don't just think about, oh, me, myself, and I. That's a small little world. Take people under your wing. And she said, I could be walking home from school, and I could stop at their house at any time. And she'd get food for me, and I could sit and chat and tell her what's on my heart, and she'd talk to me. These are great memories this, this woman has who's in her 40s now of when she was little, and she came into the life of the church. And people influenced her, took her under their wings. Are you all with me this morning? Yes. Everybody has the opportunity, by the way, to influence others. Yes. No one has an excuse. So I'm getting one of my props, Pastor Brian. It's OK. I'll, I'll, I'll get back up there. So just uh, last week, my wife and I, with our families, journeyed down to Liberty University, Lynchburg, Virginia, which is an awesome college that speaks truth. And uh, we were there for our grandson, who just graduated from Liberty University. And I can't tell you the joy in our hearts of what God's done in his life. And he didn't have a privileged life, if you think that was true, he didn't. He had lots of trials and struggles growing up, with so many things happening in his life. But I was... Looking at his room and straightening some things up because, you know, when kids come home from college, you have to empty the rooms and bring all their stuff home. And I found this. I thought, this is a neat little chart. So, does any of you have a chart like this? No. These are cool. You can get them. They, you hang them up, you know, so many feet. But here's Zachary when he was four years old, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. At this point here, he's almost five foot tall at age ten. Now he's like six foot two. <laughs> You've eaten better than me, son. That's all I'm saying. These kids are eating good food. But I thought all the people that influenced him for righteousness in the midst of all the garbage that Satan was thrown in his way. And he's the son of our daughter Christy. And many of you know our daughter Christy. There were people that sowed in his church and churches where he attended. There were Royal Ranger leaders. There were youth leaders. There were Sunday school teachers. There were deacons. There were godly people that came around and encouraged him. One of the great times of his life was when he started to go to Salem County Christian Academy, which closed a few years ago. I told him numbers of times, I'm so glad you're in that, that school. God did so much in his life, and he developed so many good friends. By the way, friends influence friends, don't they? Yeah. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because right. the people you hang with, you're going to start doing the stuff they're doing. Hang with people that are headed to heaven, that's all I'm saying. You'll never be regretful of that. And... Uh, and it's really interesting as the life goes on because Zachary kept friendships with some of those kids from Salem County Christian. 
and three, him and two others, graduated on the same day from Liberty University. One of them he was rooming with during his last year. Influence, because they grow up quick, don't they? He's no longer 10. He's 22. And he's no longer 5 foot. He's 6'2". Are you all with me? We have a great opportunity to influence people. Every single one of us. And maybe just a smile. And maybe you come up here to this altar and pray with us. I can remember as a kid growing up in church that people have prayed with me. They must have thought our home was idyllic. This wonderful home. It wasn't. We had our issues. But God intervened. And he used people to influence us. And he gave us role models to look after. My wife will tell you the same story the church she grew up in. So take advantage of the opportunities you're given. Don't just be a bump on a log. Just sitting watching things happening and being critical. Anyone can do that. How about influencing people? Deliberately asking God who it is that you should influence. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a friend that you kind of grew up with you've gotten away from each other. God will show you who to influence. Anyone believe what I'm saying this morning? Because everybody needs some influence, and we need godly influence. I'm looking at Jack and Ann Shazer. I didn't know they were here this morning. Wow, what a surprise. You never know who's going to be at church when you come. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Those two people we've known for years. My wife knew Ann because they were both in the same church. Full gospel in Neptune, New Jersey. In fact, my wife and I got married at Neptune. We had a heavenly, out-of-space wedding. Are you with me? Neptune? Did you catch that? Okay. Some of you are just looking at me like, what are you talking about? It's now in Wall Township, but influence. Linda's grandmother invited Anne's mother and family to church one day. Am I right? And they came to church, and she got saved. Years later, ended up in Bible college. Am I right, Anne? And met Jack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your mom took the invitation and came to church. How easy is that? I mean, all a person can say is no or yes. You don't have to preach a sermon to say, hey, I'd like you to come to church. We're doing something special, whatever. We'd like to have you. And Jack, we met in the 1980s. Jack was pastoring at Assembly God Church in Collings Lakes. I got that right? Yeah. Right around the corner from Malaga. We were pastoring in Malaga, and we met Jack, a single guy looking for that wonderful woman in his life, which he found at Bible College. But I heard some of the backstory because Jack shared numbers of his stories with me, and I told Jack numbers of times, buddy, but for the grace of God, you'd be dead. This lifestyle he was living. How many, how many can say that, that was me too? If, if I sure I was living all kind of risky stuff and God spared my life from me and from all the stuff I was doing. But anyhow, um, you know, it's interesting what people do. They think they have little influence. Everyone, every Sunday afternoon for years, and I don't know how many years, Chestnut Assembly of God had a team of people that went into the hospital and held a chapel service. I don't know how many years they did it. Okay, I never asked the question, but Newcomb Hospital, am I correct, Jack? Newcomb Hospital, which is closed. It was in Vineland. And they'd just go in the room and say, hey, come on, we're having chapel. Going, you know, come on for the church service. Jack was a long timer in the hospital, I think, for six months, healing from broken hip and all kind of stuff. And... Um, He'd always say, yeah, 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 I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. This is a story I heard. Just make sure it's all true because that's what I heard. What I remember, I don't remember everything because like, I'm like the guy who said, um, I had a photographic memory until I turned 40. After 40, I ran out of film. <laughs> Anybody here run out of film? Okay. It's just something to tuck away when you're trying to remember something, you're talking to someone. So um, one day, Jack was at the nurse's station in his wheelchair. the story I was heard. And they came in for chapel, and they said, oh, hi, Jack. And they just wheeled him right into the chapel. Is that cool? That's the beginning of Jack getting saved. And then getting into church at Chestnut, and then going to Bible college, and over 40 years as a pastor. Am I right, Ann? Jack? 46 years. Yeah. Influence. 
We all have an opportunity to influence people. Don't pass it by. You never know what God's going to do in a person's life. But you've got to speak up. You've got to live the life. You've got to say, I want to influence people. I don't want to just be passing through. I, you know, I read a little clip like, here lies the body of Mrs. Jones. For her, life had no terrors. She lived, she died. No hits, no runs, no errors. Just pass through. That should not be said of anybody who's a born-again, spirit-filled believer. We have influence. We can make a difference in people's lives. And uh, maybe God's speaking to you about some things that you need to change in your life to be an influencer. And so here's, here's some passages of Scripture, and I'm going to read through them probably somewhat quickly here. And this is, this is part two. These are actually two separate sermons, so you're getting two sermons for the price of one. Um, hope you appreciate it. I, I don't know if I'll get invited back again, so I've got to share all this stuff real quick while I'm here. And listen, my wife and I have enjoyed our friendship with Paul and Brian. We, we've, we've shared life together. We've laughed together. We've gone out to eat together. We've gone to sight and sound together. We've gone fishing. Yeah, we're going to do that in the future. Um, we, we, no, just sharing life together, and it's been really good. You, you, guys, you guys are blessed here. You guys have a great pastor and his wife. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and um, these thoughts are entitled Seeking, Receiving, and Giving. So I want to read these passages, and we're going to stay in Matthew chapter 6 for the remainder. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you'll lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Isn't it cool how all these provisions God provides for us? And he says, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build fine homes and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember when God brought you out of sin, out of slavery to the devil? Don't ever forget it. He has prospered and blessed you. Don't ever forget it. Give him praise. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, Self, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. What a powerful passage of scripture. Now, I want to say to Pastor Brian and Paula, I think Paula had to walk out. 38 years, two more years to be 40. You're out of the wilderness into the promised land. <laughs> it just keeps getting together. My wife and I, it's 51 years, it just flies by. So once you're out of the wilderness, woo! Land of milk and honey, right? Some of you married people that have been married for over 40 years. You're like, yeah, that's right. No, or you're like, oh, Pastor, what are you talking about? <laughs> the joy of the Lord. He brings it all the time. And then uh, turn to Psalm 37 and uh, verse 25, which is a, a familiar passage to some of you. And the psalmist is saying this. <clears throat> I was young and now I am old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaking forsaken or their children begging bread. Another pastor made their seed begging bread. I was young and now I'm older. How many of you are older? Don't, don't lie to me. I can look at you. I can tell. I can tell. I've been around for a few years. I can tell. And I know some of you that are, that are a little younger. Now, Monty, it's easy. He got, everything's white. The mustache, the big beard, the hair, it's... He can't fool anybody. He's not 39 and holding. Not anymore. <laughs> Neither am I. So anyway, what a great promise, though. The promise of the psalmist David, I was young, 
and now I'm old. But all through the years of my life, through every season, God's been faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. If you don't get that in your heart, then you tend to complain about stuff in life. Uh, When I was young, my back didn't hurt the way it hurt. I, I get it. I get it. When I was young, I could do all it. I was with a guy one day last year from the Malia church, and we were cutting, lifting up wood. And he said to me, he said, when I was young, I could lift up myself. I said, I hear you. I could too. Now we'll lift it together. It's okay. But God's faithful. Don't ever forget that. And the best is yet to come because he's promised us a heaven forever where everything is perfect. According to Scripture, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, of course, there's things that we must do. We've talked about being grateful, thanking God for all the seasons of life. How about Malachi chapter uh, 3, which uh, your pastor mentioned something about tithing this morning. A familiar passage, but I'm reading it because it's part of my sermon. In Matthew, Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 6, I, the Lord, don't change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And the answer is really pretty clear to the point. Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Will a woman rob God? Yet you rob me. That's what it says right here. You ask, how do we rob you in the tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithes into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast the fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I need to tell you, these promises, we sang a song, promise keeper light in the darkness. God is the only one, 100%, who makes and keeps promises. Every one of us here has made some promises that we haven't kept. We've had to say, I'm sorry, hon. I know I said I was going to do that, but I'll get to it next week. Whatever. You did something, you made a promise. He's the promise keeper. This passage of scripture, I learned this stuff when I was a kid in church. I'm glad I did because it saved me from a lot of wasted time, wasted money and working and throwing my money down the drain. Stuff happens, you don't plan. So I was in the bank one day. We were in Pittsburgh in ministry. And um, I'm standing in line. And uh, a guy in front of me drops something on the ground. I, I go down to help him pick it up like that. And he's picking it up. And he goes, huh? He says, that's my lottery ticket. He says, do you play? I said, no, I tithe. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. I wasn't like going in there. This is going to happen here. What will I say? Oh, he says, oh, I tried that. I said, I've done it all my life. Do you ever just try breathing and then stop because it doesn't work? (laughs) Stupid, huh? That's people, well, I'll I'll try it for a little while. You need to make it a lifetime commitment. That's part of Matthew chapter 6 when it says, seek first the kingdom, which we're coming to. When you honor God with the tithes and offerings, he'll take care of all your needs. And by the way, when you do that, you understand that the rest of yours is not to foolishly spend. That's the part that sometimes we can think, oh, pastor, I tithe, but I got all these bills. What are you doing with the 90% or 85 or 80 if you're giving to missions, which you should be doing? Well, I just went out and, no, no, it's all God's. That's called stewardship. And so when, when God's in charge of your whole life, that includes your finances, when you give the 10% and missions above for special things, you say, God, give me wisdom of what I have left. You'll never be in debt. You'll never have to file bankruptcy. You'll never be whining and complaining to people. Are, are you all with me? I, I'm 72 now. I'm not a teenager. I can tell you this works. This works. My wife will tell you this works. We're not making up a story. God makes promises. He keeps them. Luke chapter 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. We pour it in your lap. With the measure you use, it will measure to you. And I need to say to you, this is more about, not just about money. That's part of it. Give of your time. Give of your talents. 
Take time with people. Share your life. And, and the promise is <laughs> the measure you use will be the measure you receive. So let's just imagine this is a little teaspoon. Okay, God, I'm going to give you a little teaspoonful. That's what's coming back. It's right here, the little teaspoonful. If you're given in a wheelbarrow, it's coming back in a wheelbarrow. I'm just telling you what God's word says. I'm not making anything up. And guess what? It's true. It is absolutely 100% true. The measure you If a farmer went out in his fields, we have fields all around us and people are planting and stuff's growing, and he put three corn seed in the ground, how many stalks of corn would come up? Three, providing one seed doesn't get eaten by the birds. If he goes out and he plants 10,000 seeds, how many corn stalks might come up? 10,000, right? I mean, we get that, right? The same with God's word. So if you give liberally to people, if you are generous with people in every area of your life, you will receive that back. You won't even be able to handle it. Like, like oh my God, you blessed me so much. I didn't deserve all that. No, God said, I saw what you did. I want to bless you overflowing. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Amen. How many know what I'm talking about? I, I think some of you here do. Maybe some of you need to come on board with this, but I'm going to tell you what. It's all truth from God's word. Then Matthew chapter 6. Okay? And I'm looking at time. I'm so good. I got 15 minutes. Is that good? Is anybody hungry yet? Just shut that off. It's not. Listen. They'll lend you some of their Tootsie Roll Pops. It'll see you through. Chocolate is a good thing. It'll see you through. Okay? I, I love Matthew 6. And it's kind of like really one of those great, great passages. And most of you know that for a fact. So... These passages of Scripture, verses 1 to 4, this is part of the giving. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Just want you all notice, I'm going to help this homeless person over here. I just took food to Sister Jones from our church because she has a need. Everybody see that? No, don't do that stuff. Just do it because you know God wants you to. That's what it says here. Don't blow the trumpets. Don't put on like the hypocrites do. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So if your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what's on a secret will reward you. Fred Kovach is an assembly gone missionary. I think some of you know Fred. I don't know if your church supports Fred or not. He works with all the technology and all the stuff that's happening in ministry. But his dad got saved later in life. Fred was a part of the church in in Pittsburgh, Bethel Assembly, we got to know him there. When Paul got saved as an older person and he committed his life to Jesus, he asked God, what do you want me to do with my life? And so one of the things he did, if you needed anything, hey, Paul, we're going on a Royal Ranger camp out. A couple kids need sleeping bags. Okay. You might come home and find two sleeping bags on your porch. Paul didn't want anything. He went to all these yard sales. He loved it. He dickered with people. You want 15, I'll give you five. I'm serious. And, and, and he just, that's, that was ministry. Here's something else he did. He would pray for people and go in a grocery store and buy groceries and leave them on their front porch. You didn't know who it was, but then you figured it out. We came home one day, there were like two boxes of grocery on the porch, and, and my wife's pulling the stuff out. Oh, I needed this, I needed that, I needed this. I bet Paul was here. How did he know that? Because he prayed and God showed him how to bless people. Hello? Do you believe that God hears you when you're praying and he answers? Of course he does. You got to pray and ask him if you want to be a blessing. So that's what Paul did. It was really cool. So then we go to verses 19. Don't stir up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Stir up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat, drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Now, I'm not going to read all the passage because of time, but you've all read it many a times. And then he comes to the end. It says, 
verse 33, 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And as I was looking at that passage of Scripture, and I was trying to figure out what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God, a song came to me. And if you want to turn to it, you have a hymn book right there in front of you. In your hymn book, it's 358. It's a real simple song, Take My Life and Let It Be. Written by a woman in the late 1800s, a devout believer of Jesus. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love, at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my silver, my gold. Why is that verse in there? It needs to be in there. Because that's all part of seeking first the kingdom. She wrote this in the 1800s, by the way. Problems with money back then, nothing new. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my life and let it be. Some of you grew up singing that song. A powerful, powerful song with that message. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It's all yours, God. It's all yours. And um, as I was thinking about decisions that people make, I'm always reading stories, and, and um, I read this story, and I thought, here, here's the route you can go. You can, say, seek, you can seek first the kingdom of God, or you can seek for yourself and do stuff that you want for yourself. So re read the news every now and then. It'll be an eye-opener to you, because Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes, if you saw the stories in the news this week, loses her bid to avoid prison, required to pay $452 million in restitution. This is a young lady with a man who came up with a scam. They convinced enough investors. Now think about this. And I thought about it. There's so much greed out there. Hey, I'm going to invest in this company. I'm going to make money. I'm going to... She got almost a billion dollars in money from investors. A billion. Not a million, not a thousand. A billion. She claimed with a couple of drops of blood... She could diagnose hundreds of sicknesses in the body. Go ahead, you can read the story. Scam came to an end. She got arrested. So did her ex-boyfriend. And they're all going to serve jail time because she went after love of money. What if she had gone after God? Do you think she'd be going to jail? If she committed her life to Jesus and all that she had, where would she be today? It wouldn't be headed to jail, and she wouldn't have ripped off a whole lot of people who were very angry at her for what she did. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I, I think about this whole thing of seeking first the kingdom of God and putting God first and being content and being happy. So someone wrote something years ago, and I'm not going to tell you who it was until I finish the, state, the whole thing, but he said, this guy says, this was back in like 2008, like 20. Three years ago, 23 years ago, I guess, something like that. No, that's not right. 12, 13, 14, 15, get my math right, like 15 years ago. He says, the other day I was reading Newsweek magazine and came across some poll data I found rather hard to believe. It must be true given the source, right? The Newsweek poll alleges that 67% of Americans are unhappy. They're unhappy with the direction the country is headed, and 69% of the country is unhappy with the performance of the president. In essence, two-thirds of the citizens just aren't happy and want to change. So being the knuckle-dragger I am, he said, I started thinking, what are we so unhappy about? Is it that we have electricity and running water 24 hours a day? Go on some mission trips and see how long they have electricity and running water. Some don't have any, or it's on for a couple hours a day. I've been overseas. Is our unhappiness the result of having air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter? Is that why we're unhappy? If you come into church and it's 95 outside, it's probably not going to be 95 in here. How many are happy about that? Like, oh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's the ability to walk in a grocery store at any time and see more food in 
those few moments than Darfur has seen in the last year. Maybe it's the ability to drive our cars and trucks from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, we did that a few years ago with our motorhome, without having to present identification papers as we move through each state. Or possibly it's the hundreds of clean and safe motels we would find along the way that can provide temporary shelters. That makes you unhappy. Or I guess it's having thousands of restaurants with varying cuisine from around the world. It's just not good enough either. Or could it be that when you wreck your car, emergency workers show up and provide services to help all, and even send a helicopter to take you to hospitals? That's why we're unhappy. Perhaps you're one of the 70% of Americans who own a home. Is that why you're unhappy? You may be upset with knowing that in the unfortunate case of a fire, a group of trained firefighters will appear in moments and use top-notch equipment to extinguish the flames, thus saving you, your family, and your belongings. Or if while at home watching one of your many flat-screen TVs, a burglar or a prowler intrudes, an officer equipped with a gun and a bulletproof vest will come to defend you and your family against loss or attack. Maybe that's why we're unhappy. This all in the back drop of a neighborhood free of bombs or militias raping and pillaging the rest residents like some countries have. Neighborhoods where 90% of teenagers own cell phones and computers. How about complete religious, social, political freedoms that we enjoy the envy of the world? Maybe that's what has 67% of folks unhappy. Fact is, he says, we're the largest group of ungrateful, spoiled brats the world has ever seen. Let not that be one of us. By the way, that was written by Jay Leno. He doesn't claim to be a believer. He's a late night show talk host. Yeah, he was. Retired. Some of you saw him. Interesting, isn't it? If we learn to be content, it's because we understand these truths. I am going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he's going to take care of me. So I got two quick illustrations, and I'm done. I'm out of here. I love, I love illustrations. That's why I bring them. Okay, we're going to have an auction. Who give me five and five, 100% pool, wool? Who give me 10, 10, 10? You know what, what's neat about God? He often provides even more than we want. So we lived in Pittsburgh. My wife and I are principal pastor of a Christian school. We had a limited income. We've always had a limited income. How many know that God doesn't have a limited income? Okay, so I just needed an overcoat because back in the day, most of us had to wear a suit tie and all that. And so if you went somewhere in the cold weather, you needed an overcoat to put over top of it, right? And the coat I had was small. For some reason, it kept shrinking or maybe, <laughs> maybe I gained a few pounds. And I told my wife, I said, I need an overcoat. We didn't have much money. Little Sisters of the Poor was one of the places in Pittsburgh where nuns retired and stayed there. Twice a year, they had like yard sales. We lived right around the corner from the Little Sisters of the Poor. I'd stop in every now and then. I love yard sales, thrift stores. I love all that stuff. And I stopped in one day. This coat was on the rack, along with sports jackets. All of them had the label still sewed into the sleeve. They were brand new. Had been donated by Shadyside Men's Store to the Little Sisters of the Poor for their yard sale. This had a label on it for $295. That was in the 1990s. You know what they wanted for it? Five bucks. I am not exaggerating. And I got a couple of sports jackets that were also 200 plus for five bucks. When Jesus tells you in Matthew 6, you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. It's a promise that he keeps. And if you fulfill your part of it, you're going to be shocked. I mean, I didn't need a 100% wool coat like that worth 295. I, I've been satisfied with something that was used in decent shape for you know, that cost maybe 50 bucks new. Got it for five bucks. But God blessed me over and abundantly. I still have it. I need it. I mean, it may not be the style, but I'll tell you what, if I put it on a warm, cold day, keep it warm. Uh, where's my other illustration? All right, for some of you, you need a pair of these. For some of you, you have them. They're called work boots. Now, last time I was here, I spoke about God's provision. I had a stone up here. Remember, anybody remember the stone? So I talked about the provision for home where God provided a home for us in the country and we had no place to go as kids. So I didn't bring the stone again. But food, clothing, and shelter. Work boots equals a job equals an income equals food. Y'all with me? 
because if you have some money, you can go to the store and buy food. At least last time I was there, they weren't giving it away. Hey, I'm Keith Holt. I'm so wonderful. I'm a retired man. Could I just, like, get it for free today? They look at you like, are you an idiot? <laughs> I go in times for the bank, and I got to know some of the bank people in Carnage Point, and I'd say, she said, can I help you? I said, yes. I said, is this the day they're giving out the free money? She said, if they are, you're in line behind me. <laughs> okay, I get it. So we're on a missions trip in Lesotho, South Africa, many years ago. Our church, numbers of times, joined with the Marlton Assembly of God Church on mission trips. We're, we're doing a building park. There were some people doing evangelism. Dan Ernest went with me. You know the Ernest. They've been part of this church. And we're with a whole group of people from Marlton. A couple other churches had joined. And we're laying these big cement blocks, closing in around the roof that was already put up, working with missionaries there. Just an awesome time. Just blessings of God. And at the end of the week, any of you travel on mission trips know that it's kind of like a, a good thing to leave everything you can to bless people. Because we got so much in America. I said we have so much in America. Oh, I couldn't find anything to wear. I had 30 shirts. I went through not one of them. Really? I didn't talk about the ladies. I talked about myself, okay? I'm not even going there with the dresses and shoes and all that stuff. Okay, so we're at the end of the week, and the guy who I room with, Ron, just a beautiful brother in the Lord, he's part of the Glassboro Church, and we were talking. And he said, so Keith, he said, are you leaving your stuff behind? I said, yeah, I'm going to leave all my clothes and stuff and all that kind of stuff. And he said, are you going to leave your work boots behind? Oh, boy. I said, Ron, I like those boots. Anybody have boots or shoes that are comfortable? You like them? I said, they are com- it's not a matter of what they were worth. They weren't worth a whole lot. But they were comfortable. I'm going to take them home because I still work to do, and I'm going to use them. And then he said a question to me, and I'm supposed to be a mighty man of God because I'm a pastor. He said, can you trust God to provide another pair of boots for you? Oh, my goodness. What am I going to answer to that? <laughs> Come on, Brian. If someone said to you, we say, uh, mm, uh, yeah, yeah, I can trust God. Because if you don't, he's going to look at you like, and you're a pastor? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can trust God, Ron. I left the boots behind. I don't even remember when I got these boots, these work boots. I don't even know how many years ago it was that I went into some thrift shop somewhere in America, probably in a local ranch hope or out where my mother shopped in near Hershey, and I found these boots, and I, I had no idea what they were. I just tried them on. They fit. They were probably about five bucks. I like the, I like the five buck range. That's like... <laughs> That's a good range. Just seven bucks. Okay, I can go to seven. It's, it's okay. I'm wearing these boots one day, these work boots, and I'm st- I was just wearing them yesterday. We're working on some wood, a tree that we got cut down. And my son-in-law, one day he comes by and says, Dad, you're wearing red wings. I'm like, really? What? What's red wings? Anybody here know what red wings are? Okay, if you're out in the work world and you want some good boots, you got red wings or something comparable. I'm like, so what's that? He said, they're like $200 or more. I said, really? And then I'm looking at the label on the side. Sure enough, there it is, red wings. I'm like, wow. Well, I need to tell you, I paid about five bucks for them. <laughs> go buy a pair of red wings. Go look it up. Go look it up online. You can spend two, three, fifty or more. And they make all kinds of boots and shoes for men and ladies. And it's really neat, the story behind that is that Charles Beckham was a shoe salesman in Red Wing, Minnesota. Why is it called Red Wings? And uh, he saw a need in the community for a great work boot that fit well. In February 1905, Charles and 14 other business investors organized the Red Wing Shoe Company. Their goal was to provide durable and comfortable work boots that met the needs of miners, farmers, or loggers. I thought, what a great goal. If their goal was just making money, they would have made them as cheap as they could and made them look good. I'm going to tell you, I have beat these things up. I bought them used. I have beat these things up. <laughs> Pastor Brian, I can still put them on. I'm like, I just fit right into them. I'm ready to go. And I can work all day with those things on my feet, and my feet still feel good. Red wings. Who would have thought that God would provide me a pair of red wings work boots? <laughs> I didn't know what they were. That's the God who pours out generously, abundance, 
more than we can imagine or think when we put him first. When we live out these scriptures, and I'm going to tell you, great is his faithfulness. This passage, this whole sermon is about you seeking first the kingdom of God. Okay? Seeking first the kingdom of God. And then it's about receiving what you need. And then it's about giving. It's all in that passage in Matthew 6. And God will provide a roof over your head, clothes on your body, food on your table. And he'll surprise you at times when you're just going to sit down and have hot dogs. Some knocks on your door. We just wanted to drop by some T-bone steaks and some lobster. Is that okay? Uh, n- no, really? N- yeah, that's okay. Why did you pick our house? Because God told me to come here. I am not kidding you. This is stuff that God does. We have to do our part, and he'll bless. And I am so excited about God's faithfulness throughout the years of my life, our family, through this church, through Pastor Brian and Paul, through so many of you who know what I'm talking about this morning. And if you get to, to get into all this, I need to tell you. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman that trusts in him. He is not prejudiced at all. It's not because he loves me better than someone else. Absolutely not. If you will just follow his word, his promises will be true for every one of you. Lord, today, we thank you for your so, so, so many blessings. You pour them out abundantly, and you surprise us in ways that we're, we're even mad. We just need a simple pair of work boots. You gave us, like, the top of the line. Just need a simple coat, and you gave me a brand-new 100% wool from a men's store. I mean... This stuff has happened all through our lives simply because we said yes to you, God. We're not any special people. We've washed your hand. Now we've been retired almost two years. We've washed your hand of provisions for us as a family. And you love every single person here just as much as you love Linda and I and our family. And you will make provision for them as they put you first. Make that real to every heart. Maybe chew on this today. Maybe get it absorbed into our system. And may we live it. Continue to bless this church. Bless all those who serve, Pastor Brian and Paula, all who serve in any capacity. And Lord, may there be those sitting here today saying, today's my day. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm diving in. And I'm going to be a person of influence. I'm going to be a blessing. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. P.S. Pastor Brian, come on. P.S. I talked about our grandson, Zachary. He almost didn't get into liberty a couple years ago. Now he's home for a short span. He's gone back to liberty for two years for a master's program with a full ride. Full ride. That comes to close to 80 grand if you're trying to figure it out. And I said, Zach, as long as you put God first in your life, he will open doors and he will bless you and you will be a blessing. You can never outgive God in any way, shape, or form. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Test him. He'll come through every time. God bless you guys. We love you. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.